This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews. And as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Oh, what a weekend and week, Dan. Um, here we go again. <laughs> Back into lockdown. Uh, it all happened so quickly. Yeah, thoughts go out to everyone who's doing it a little bit tough. I know it's not a massive ask, but definitely sympathise with anyone else who's um, struggling mentally with it. Yeah, I guess I'm probably a little bit better prepared now than first time round, but I guess not knowing when it's going to end doesn't make it any easier, even if it's just not going to be that long, I suppose. No, it doesn't, but at least we had the footy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's nice that doesn't seem like hubs are on the agenda, at least not for now. So hopefully mm. the season can keep going, eh? I think they'll try to avoid it as much as possible, but... Um, very expensive. I guess it's always a last resort, I guess, yeah. yeah. So, and it is very expensive. <laughs> for sure. So what caught your eye from the round? Well, yeah, look, I'm always stuck between two, but I'm going to go with one. And it's just... The number of forgetful games this weekend, then. I mean, just really bang average games. Just not very easy on the eye. Collingwood, Geelong, St Kilda North, Gold Coast, Hawthorne. They were just, they really lacked fire, I thought. They weren't necessarily blowouts, but they were, there just wasn't much to write home about. Just a bit of a fizzle. Yeah, mine was pretty similar. I was going to highlight the Geelong-Collingwood game. And for whatever reason, these two clubs just don't seem to play entertaining games over the last few years. You would think, like, because Geelong's been pretty good in that period, you'd think they'd be pretty decent games, but, yeah, it's not one I'd be tuning in for, having seen what they produced probably the last four times they played against each other, and this is probably the worst of the lot, you know, one goal in three quarters for Collingwood, and then they're still in with a chance to win, so Geelong, far from showing their premiership credentials in a game like this. Yeah, I mean, if I look at that in the fixture, Collingwood-Geelong, I do sort of it does pique my interest a bit. I think, oh, yeah, that might be a, a decent game. But there's not many memorable encounters between those two teams at all in the last few years. You're right. Maybe it goes back to, like, the coaching thing. You know, you're coming, you've got two coaches coming up against each other, Buckley and Scott, who really do try and control the game a fair bit. And it just turns it into this really dour struggle. And I guess, yeah, on the weekend was probably the most dour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, luckily, we've got a much better game to talk about. So, yeah, as you were saying, a lot of the Saturday games are not great to watch, but we found one for Match of the Round, which was a great watch, and that was West Coast Essendon over in WA at Optus Stadium. So going into this one, West Coast were holding down seventh spot on the ladder, although still a few people questioning whether they're really going to be a finals team just because of their inability to get it done on the road so far this year. And then you had Essendon sitting in 11th, and there's a lot more optimism now around Essendon than there was at the start of the year. I think you're starting to see a few uh, shoots of what they're trying to do with their game style, and some of the young kids they've got actually do seem to have a fair bit of skill as well. So an interesting contrast in going into this game for these two teams. Yeah, and I think... Just quickly, I think Essendon would have maybe fancied their chances because their record there isn't too bad in the last sort of five years. I think they, they beat West Coast the last time they played over there as well, if memory serves me correctly. I believe they did. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's jump into it. So it was a really high-energy start to this game, 
and it was the Bombers who just turned it over right in the middle of the ground. And after a contest at about 50 metres out, it was Petrocelli who found it spinning out of the contest and actually opting for the dribble kick from about 30 out. And all the Essendon defender could do was run back towards goal as the ball beat him through the goals. That was quite a nice way to finish, although he probably could have just, you know, kicked it through the air, but it was a nice way to start there. He's definitely someone that, that likes the dribbler <laughs> and uh, and does it quite well. When it, when it works, it looks good. Like, oh, yeah. There was, I don't know, I guess some players would just feel like it's a safer kick for them. Because, you know, if you, get, if you get the dribbler online, then you don't have to worry about any hook, obviously. It's just starting on the line, yeah. so... I don't know. That's one way of looking. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> there are reasons to do it. And it was the Eagles who had their second a short time later with Darling finding all sorts of space after West Coast got a quick transition down the outer wing. So they'd started the game pretty well. Essendon were able to steady though with uh, two relatively quick goals. One of them coming from a long kick to the square marked by Hooker after Gaff had put it out on the full under not too much pressure either, just coming out of defence. So, yeah, it was good to see Essendon able to settle because West Coast did get a pretty quick start. Yeah, he looked a he looked a little bit off, Gaff. I thought. Um, yeah, it just not his usual efficient self. So really, all that added up to a uh, deficit of just three points for Essendon. So West Coast did. Uh, managed to go in with a lead, although they had only kicked three goals from their three shots. So Essendon actually had a few more shots, which was a bit of a sign of things to come in this game. And they probably could have been in front a quarter time. So, yeah, a few missed opportunities, but long way to go. So from the first centre clearance of the second quarter, it was actually Josh Kennedy getting a little bit of a lucky in the back free. Not sure who the defender was, but he did everything he could to not push Kennedy in the back, but he just got him so slightly in the back, and the umpire was keen enough to blow the whistle. And uh, as Kennedy does, he goes back and slots the set shot. Did you think that one was a free? Um, I thought it was pretty dicey. Uh, yeah, it was kind of unlucky. I'm trying to think of who the defender was as well. What was it? Um, oh. No, not Laverde. Um, yeah, no, I can't think off the top of my head. But no, I thought you could have let that go. Yeah, the umpires do seem really keen on paying in the back where it is sort of that half-half one like that. But mm. I'd be oh, happy yeah. if they let just a few more of those go. Yep, definitely. So although West Coast got the fast start, it was Essendon who quickly snuffed that out where their forward pressure was already starting to pay dividends. And uh, Snelling got it after a turnover pretty deep in the forward line and was able to snap the goal. And just after this as well was actually Tim Kelly going off injured. So that was a big blow to the Eagles with uh, a few players coming back in, probably not up to a full you know, game fitness either. So they're a little bit vulnerable here. Bit nasty, that one sort of hyperextended the, yeah, the knee. And I think it was, an, it was a medial, wasn't it? Yeah, so what's um, that usually? So four to usually six four weeks? to six weeks. Big loss. I mean, especially with Yo just coming back. They could have had their midfield just start to buzz a bit. But yeah, no, that's a huge loss. Yeah, they've had a lot of problems with injuries through the year already, haven't they? Yep. 
even after this injury, though, it was actually West Coast who was starting to gain the ascendancy. And with two goals in a row, thanks to some nice inside 50 work from Nick Nat in the ruck, ending in a Archie goal from the square, they were yeah, starting to get things moving their way. But Essendon did manage to claw back, so it wasn't all one-way traffic here. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, just those those two goals right at the end of that second quarter. Just a real margin back in to about 17 points, where it was about 31. Uh, big, big moment for Essendon. And it's it's those moments and late in the quarter, late in the half. I mean, if you, it really sort of sets the tone for the rest of the game. If you, if you get, get it back within striking distance, it can be make a huge difference. Yeah, so I think West Coast got it out to beyond five goals at one point. Yes. So it was crazy how efficient they were being. So they'd kick nine goals straight in the first half. Yeah, wow. I guess it's kind of goes to how they set up, doesn't it? They uh, they hold their forwards back quite deep, which uh, means if they can get it through, then they're a very good chance to score. Yeah, their, their looks at goal are much better than... I guess a lot of other teams get. But I guess um, the reverse of that is, like, if they're holding all their forwards so deep and, you know, the other team isn't actually manning all those guys up, that means it's that much harder to actually get through to that point as well. So it's kind of that double-edged sword. That's true. That's true. And I guess that's why they rely on that, that whole kick-mark game and how they're usually so good at it. They seem to transition the ball quite well forward. But, uh, yeah, I mean... It's a little bit out of the ordinary at the moment to have that sort of stay-at-home set-up. It seemed to be like they were getting most of their goals that I saw where they were just breaking through and finding these guys who were in a fair bit of space. But it was pretty hard to get through there, I guess, because you know Essendon's pressure is pretty good now and yep. they probably had actually extra guys around the ball because West Coast often actually had an outnumber in their forward line. Yeah, yeah. So in contrast to this, Essendon were a bit inaccurate. Uh, More points than goals through the half. But uh, yeah, they were definitely getting enough looks at it and uh, they would have been heartened with what they were able to bring in that first half. Um, There was also that, uh, I think it's Jake Waterman, isn't it, for West Coast, um, that kick just after the halftime siren that went through for a goal that they waved off. Uh, That could have made a bit of a difference, but... uh, yeah, a little bit of drama there. All right, let's jump into the second half then. So after a bit of a stalemate early in the third quarter, there was a down-the-field free kick when Zach Merritt got hit a little late uh, trying to kick inside 50. The kick was going to miss an inside 50 target as well, so it was a bit of an undisciplined free kick to give away that one. So they yep. managed to get a goal out of that, out of that. And uh, from the very next centre bounce, they got the clearance as well. And uh, Archie Perkins managed to gather around the half-forward line before putting a bit of a step on his West Coast opponent to find a bit of space. And after a contest inside 50, it was actually Tip and Woody centering to Nick Cox. So really good ball use from Tip and Woody here. Yeah, he was the barometer of their comeback, I think. Um, yeah, just making things happen, getting some scoring moments. Uh, and, yeah, he kicked a few good goals in this game as well. Uh, so, yeah, when he's up and running, he's, he's hard to stop. 
Yeah, it was kind of crazy here because there was really no goals for like the first half of this quarter and then just all of a sudden Essendon kicked three quick ones. So those two, as I've described, and their forward pressure actually managed to get another turnover and it was actually Tip and Woody who got it about 30 metres out and he managed to sort of dance around an opponent going one way and then the other and then snapping on the right. And at oh, this yeah. point, the margin was just seven points. So it, it all happened. So started happening really quickly for the Bombers here. Um, that was also that was a great goal, that one. Uh, Tip and Woody, yeah, just sort of juked one way, went the other, and then snapped it. Um, he, yeah, he's, he's such an interesting player to watch because I don't know if he's super quick, but he's deceptively quick and agile. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one. It's a funny one to work out because you know, he's not like... He's not. He's he's got a strong frame, but he's not. Um, he's not slow. He's a quick decision maker, I think, which sort of helps him. Like as soon think, as he gets the ball, yeah. he knows exactly what he's going to do with it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it was actually Tip and Woody again getting involved. Who found Stringer on the boundary, about forty-five out, right on the boundary, and Stringer, as he often does, was able to steal himself to get the ball through from the angle. And he'd now cut the West Coast lead down to just three points going into three-quarter time. He loves the big game, doesn't he, Stringer? Um, yeah, and he was going to play a very pivotal part if Fessenden were going to get up. Uh, but yeah, no, fantastic kick, that one. Yeah, so I guess these two are probably the most dangerous forwards on the night in terms of Stringer and Tip and Woody. Hooker had his moments as well, but... Uh, yep. Yeah, they've got an interesting mix down there at the moment. I know... You've said in previous weeks that, you know, Tip and Woody has to play really well for Essendon to win. Maybe they're slightly less reliant on him now, but uh, it always helps if he's playing well. It definitely helps, but yeah, absolutely. There's a bit more of a spread happening and um, yeah, a lot more contributions across the board. So it was the Tip and Woody-Stringer combo who were again causing problems at the start of the last quarter. As after a bit of a scrappy bit of play, Tip and Woody managed to get a clean take and quickly dished off to Stringer in the pocket, and he was able to snap on the right, and uh, the Bombers are actually in front after this kick. It really stood out, because yeah. there was a lot of sort of like double grabs, not qu- people not quite being able to, you know, get the control of the ball, and then as soon as Tim Woody grabbed it, bang, he had it, knew exactly what he wanted to do, put Stringer into space, and yeah, goal. That's right, and, and the rain had just start, started to come down. Um, and you knew it was going to be a bit of a factor. Who was going to adapt to it better? And that bit of play, yeah, really stood out because, as you said, there wasn't a lot of clean possession, but a bit of brilliance. Uh, yeah, got the got the lead. So going back the other way, West Coast had one of these pieces of play I was referencing earlier where they were just able to break through the Essendon wall, and it was Liam Ryan who actually got it sort of between wing and half forward, and he was able to perfectly weight a kick to Waterman, who was able to mark pretty strongly and go back and nail the set shot. That was a beautiful kick, that one. Um, yeah, I love watching Liam Ryan kick the ball, um, whether it's set shots or field kicking. He's just got perfect weight to it, and he just put it in the perfect spot for only Waterman to mark it. And, yeah, we are back on level terms. Yeah, I guess he's kind of like the perfect player for them to get it in that sort of half-forward region, particularly the way they play in terms of keeping those at-home forwards or just having guys sort of rushing back. 
he can yeah perfectly weight the, the kick and really find the the man on those quick bursts in very rarely seems to waste a possession mm. very valuable for them absolutely so at this point scores are even 71 apiece although west coast of course were far more accurate Essendon actually kicked another three points to keep West Coast very much in the contest. But again, the forward pressure did it for Essendon, where they managed to turn it over just outside 50. They then got a long kick in, and who was at the top of the square? But Stringer to Mark Strongly. And uh, he made no mistake from there. And it really did look like the game slipping away from West Coast, who had only managed two goals in the whole of the second half. Yeah, Nick Nanui copped a bit of criticism for that uh, that stoppage. Uh, I think a lot of people were saying that they, you know, it was kind of obvious what Hooker was going to do. He was going to grab it out and he was going to try and you know kick a snap to the square. Um, I actually thought <laughs> no one's really said this, but I actually thought that throw in was a little bit short from the umpire, which didn't help matters. But I can kind of see what people were saying uh, in that situation possibly just got to kill the kill the ball and yeah it was it was a good bit of play though and stringer stringer was on the end of it <laughs> yes and to to ice the game it was another beautiful kick in from tip and woody finding essendon's waterman alec waterman who went back from 40 and nailed the set shot to give essendon a 15 point lead and west coast really didn't mount much of a challenge in the five minutes that remained. So they went out pretty limply after at one point getting up to close to a six-goal lead in this game. Yep, that was uh, that was Floodgate's time, I think. Uh, they they were disappointing in that last quarter, West Coast. Um, they didn't play it smart, I thought. They kept trying to play sort of dry weather footy when the rain came down. And, um, yeah, I just... Well, it just wasn't that, yeah, it wasn't all that impressed. Yeah, they really did seem to have the game on their terms in that first half. Although, in saying that, they didn't actually have that many scoring shots, so maybe that even that was a bit of an illusion. That's, yeah, that's possible. Uh, but the Bombers, fantastic, fantastic, great performance. So what did you and, think uh, of, yeah. the, of the midfield battle in this game? How did you see that? Ah, uh, well, yeah, th- this was a very interesting midfield battle. I have to ask the question. We all know that Christian Petrarca and Clayton Oliver are one of the best midfield duos in the game right now, but how about Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt? I, I, is there anyone better than them right now? I mean, they're averaging about 62 possessions combined each week, and uh, Parrish actually had 11 clearances in this game, so... <laughs> It's amazing. What, what are you reading? It's amazing what you can get when you actually play guys in the position they're meant to play. Mm. So for so oh, yeah. long they wanted to play Parrish as a half forward, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe for a while Essendon was worried about you know having so many smaller midfielders, and yeah, Parrish is going to exacerbate that problem a little bit. But it doesn't seem to be too much of a problem at the moment for them. I think they were they were worried about his tank as well. They weren't sure if he'd run out games, but oh, it's been an absolute game changer for them having him in there. He's not afraid to get you know get dirty and roll up the sleeves, and yeah, merits the perfect compliment on the outside. So 
yeah, it's very impressive seeing what the Bombers are doing at the moment. Yeah, West Coast at the moment just aren't winning enough of the ball through the midfield to give themselves enough looks at goal, really. Like, I know, as we talked about, they rely on efficiencies and uh, also making the most of, you know, the inside 50 ruck contest where Natanui can uh, often get it down to one of their midfielders. And they did get a couple of their goals in their run in that way, but it just doesn't really seem sustainable to be able to, you know, get so little of the ball through the midfield to actually be competing most weeks. Well, yeah, it's, it's only going to work if they get a certain number of marks. And I think they had about 78 marks for the game. I can't remember what the stat is that they usually win if they have a... It's either 90 if, or 100. Break 100. So yeah, 90 or 100, something like that. that. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I do wonder if it's sustainable as well because... Uh, you know, you get teams like the, like Essendon that are willing to run you off your feet, and um, West Coast aren't exactly sort of a, pr- a pressure team. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's um, I wonder if that would be the game style going forward for um for a club like West Coast. I mean, I don't think it would change much, obviously, but um, it, it yeah, it just it makes you think: is it gonna like is that game style going to win a premiership anytime soon? Yeah, so I guess. In recent weeks, we've kind of been questioning whether West Coast is like a contender or, or even are they, how likely are they to hold onto their spot in the eight. And like, this wasn't a terrible performance, but I guess losing no. a game like this at home and again, like losing last week to GWS, both of these games, they probably would have expected to win or at least, you know, push the opposition a bit harder than they did. So, yeah, I guess they're fighting a battle now for one of those probably last two spots in the eight. And obviously there's still plenty of time, but yeah, it's far from a sure thing now. And they've got some pretty tricky games after the bye, um, wherever that will be. Um, they'll get Richmond at Optus, Bulldogs at Optus, Sydney in Sydney. So yeah, they're not, they're not uh, easy games. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about Essendon because I guess they've been one of the surprise packets this year. I don't think too many people were expecting too much from them after last year where the season just seemed to completely go off the rails and, you know, they lost a few uh, players who didn't want to be there in the trade period, probably most notably uh, Danaher and Saad managed to get a few picks and uh, in that top 10 and they're already making an impact. But more than that, I think uh, Rutten's really got them playing a way that he actually believes in and they're starting to buy into that a bit. They're definitely buying into it. Uh, you, yeah, you can see just with the way that they're sort of at their the, the work rate and the the willingness to run, and you know they actually did beat West Coast in the uncontested positions as well. So yeah, it's really impressive seeing what, what they're trying to build here, and I'm sure that it's it, it's been a work in progress. We hear a lot about how that Blake Carousel is there and the Richmond model is yeah, starting yeah. to take shape here, but it, it it actually is, and you can definitely see what they're trying to do where the you know, you contrast this with something like Collingwood, and we'll get onto them a little bit later. But it's hard to see what they're trying to do. So yeah, yeah. And as we heard in that rundown, like they did get quite a lot of their shots with good forward pressure, turning it over in their front half and giving them repeat chances. So yes, yeah. I guess that's one thing a lot of people have been critical of Essendon of over the years is you know not having a defined brand that's actually going to stand up when the pressure's on and 
it does look like they're finally starting to develop that, which I'm sure would be heartening for Essendon fans. Absolutely. And also just a lack of their um, inside mid uh, department um, and winning the clearances, winning contested ball. That That's improved a lot now, especially with Parrish going in there. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot to like about this, this club at the moment. So what are your expectations for Essendon for the rest of the year then, now that we've seen them, you know, win a game like this where not really anyone was expecting them to win? Yeah, um, it's a very good question. I It's funny because... I didn't realise that they were that close to the eight until they got into the eight temporarily. <laughs> um, well, it's sort of one of those seasons where you can dare to dream a little bit. I mean, why why not? If, if what, they if they believe they can make the eight, why not why not set that as the goal? Um, looking at the, some of their games for the rest of the year, there are a few winnable ones. There's a couple of tough ones. Be an interesting but, game, um, the Dreamtime game against Richmond. Well, that's the yeah, and we played at Optus as well because uh, obviously Melbourne's out of commission for now. But yes, that, like if they could get that sort of scalp, Richmond, you know, still are finding their feet a bit. So that could be a, well, that is, a big one for them. Yeah, that is the game, isn't it? That's the one where we'll see just how good they are. And um, ninth versus eighth, uh, winner takes that spot in the eight for sure. Love it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it'll be good to have a Dreamtime game with a bit more on the line than has been that case for a yeah, while. Absolutely. So I'm sure yeah, it's a great occasion. Yes, and then we'll be up for that one, and so will Richmond. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of Richmond, uh, I'm sure you saw this mark over the weekend uh, with Jack Rewalt taking sort of a reverse hanger <laughs> against Adelaide, tracking back inside fifty. Do you see this one? I, I did. I briefly saw it. I wanted to see it again, but um, I've only seen it once. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a little bit more about in... it. Yes, yes. So this is a bit of a topsy-turvy game, actually. Adelaide uh, kicked away a bit in the first quarter. Richmond hit back with the wind, and uh, they kicked away in the third quarter, Richmond. But Adelaide, against the wind, were actually coming with a bit of a rush. So they'd kicked four goals in a row, and... Richmond were only up by, I think, nine points at this time. And I'm pretty sure it was from the centre clearance, this bit of play, where Jack gets involved. So there was quite a long, high kick to about sort of 35 metres out. It was, for some reason, the kick was actually trailing pretty slowly as well. So it gave Rewalt plenty of time to sort of track back, eyes on the footy. And uh, there was actually a pack sort of coming up towards him, which he probably wouldn't have uh, fully known about. But... To get the to get the mark going backwards, he basically jumps into the air, and in doing so, he is basically reverse speccying uh, Castagna and his Adelaide opponent. <laughs> so he's sort of just hanging there in the air for a very short time before Marvio Chol comes in and cannons into him. <laughs> so it, it's a pretty crazy yeah, mark. It, it's it's one I remember the one time I watched it. I remember thinking it's one mark you just don't see very often at all. Like. <laughs> Everything that went into it, yeah, it was, it was sort of uh, against the flight, or not against the flight, but against the pack coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, very impressive. It reminded The build-up reminded me a little bit of that Jonathan Brown mark from a while ago, but I think the only difference, him being in the air. Yeah, that the yeah, only, that yeah. was what made it truly unique. He's basically jumped up onto the guy's shoulders going back with the flight. <laughs> I don't think I've yeah, seen yeah. that before. No, neither, neither. Um, could that be mark of the year? 
Could be, yeah. I guess right now it's probably between that one and uh, Bolton and the Bolton one from the square as well when he got up pretty high on uh, Blitzab. So those are probably the two front runners. There's been some good speckies. All right, the next thing I wanted to have a quick chat about was uh, this question here. How many really good teams are there in the AFL right now? And the reason I ask this is because in previous years, it's been pretty hard to get a winning streak going. But we had Melbourne with nine wins in a row. Brisbane's currently sitting on seven wins in a row. Are there really that many good teams in the AFL? Um, yeah, I guess the question is what makes a good team? Well, like an elite team that is sort of challenging for top four, I would usually consider to be an, to be a very good team. But it is a really good question. I mean, are some of those teams in the eight, are they actually the real deal or are they just good teams that might have a bit of potential or they might be riding the wave? Um, I think there's definitely less really good teams than there has been for a while. And... Yeah, we talked, probably... we talked about how there were like so many teams in contention earlier in the year. So kind of diluting that out a bit. But I guess that maybe that the extension of that is there are less really good teams if so many pe- teams are in contention. I think so. I think that the, the playing field's been leveled a, a little bit. And with even when you look at the top four, I mean, that I think these are good teams. Uh, but are they... Like, would you put your house on them to win, you know, to win a flag, <laughs> I guess. I mean, they're very, very good, but I, I I get that sense as well, that it's more that we've come down to earth a little bit and that it's up for grabs. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's up for grabs. Like, I think clearly based on form at the moment, Melbourne, the Bulldogs and Brisbane are the top three. Yep. And beyond that, there's question marks. Like, Geelong's probably been the most impressive of the rest, but even they've had some pretty scrappy wins and haven't been overly impressive as a whole. And then you've got Port, who's beaten up on the sides outside the eight but can't beat anyone inside the eight. And then you've got a young Sydney side. You've got West Coast, who are pretty flaky, and then Richmond, who are kind of only just going. So there's a lot of fat there. There is no, there's definitely a lot of fat there. I think um, with Geelong, I, I personally would put them in that top four of the good teams, the really good teams. But I can definitely see the reservations. Their next two games, Port in Adelaide and uh, Bulldogs, wherever that'll be. So yeah, those two are massive for them. And yeah. if they win one of them, if that I would can still consider them as a as a very good team. If they win both of them, then I'd say the yeah. Yeah, I would put Geelong year. fourth at the moment, but I think they are a, definitely fourth. They're, yeah, they're they're a bit behind those top three just based yep. on the first half of the season. Yep, yep. No, that's fair. Because yeah, I guess as I already said, like it has been really hard to string together, you know, four or five wins in previous years, even for the best teams. But yes. it doesn't quite seem like that this year for some reason. Well, yeah, we've got plenty of winning streaks that have happened this year, and it's it's yeah, it's really flipped the script. All right, well, uh, there was another very notable result over the weekend, and we resisted doing this one for Match of the Round, but obviously it was the Friday night encounter over at Docklands between 
top of the table Bulldogs at the time versus Melbourne. So I think a lot of people were tipping the Bulldogs in this one, especially after Melbourne had, you know, lost to Adelaide by a point and there's a few question marks there and, you know, the Bulldogs have just been ultra impressive yep. beating up on, you know, teams once yeah, they get yeah. on top of them and, uh, you know, they've got some good scalps as well. So, yeah, this was a big game for both teams, I think. Unfortunately, no one could be there. I reckon they would have got close to a capacity crowd. I was playing or heading there. I don't know about you, Johnny, but yeah. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, it was the empty stadium. I would definitely have been keen. It was uh, not easy being confined to the home for this one. But, yeah, yeah, massive, massive game, that one. Uh, Bulldogs, as I said last week, probably play that ground better than anyone plays any ground. And, yeah, I mean, I'll let you what, start off on what happened next. What What were your thoughts going into the game before we get to that? Uh, well, my thoughts, I really just wanted to stay in the game as long as possible. Uh, I did sort of leave a potential, you know, if, if we ran them for four quarters and got pipped maybe at the end, then you could sort of look at it and go, yeah, it's not a bad performance. Yeah. It's a marathon and a sprint. It's Bulldogs on you know their home deck. Uh, but I, I definitely wanted to have a good start. I, I, I thought now was a time for Melbourne to come out and really just hit the ground running in the first quarter, tackling pressure, forward pressure, uh, get a couple of goals on the board and make a statement. And they did that. Yeah, absolutely. So you might remember a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about, you know, whether Melbourne was a contender. And I actually did mention that I thought Melbourne's game style would match up really well against the Bulldogs. Yep. And I, I was pretty nervous going into this game just yep. because, uh, you know, it was a big game and, you know, Melbourne had had a bit of a dip in form over the last few weeks. But I think they really steeled themselves for this game. And, geez, they hit the Bulldogs with everything they had really in that first quarter. I think they put 40 yep. points on them in pretty quick time. So, uh yeah, Melbourne got over the line. The game was pretty much over by three-quarter time. Melbourne just needed one goal in that last quarter, which they got pretty early, and they just sort of coasted to the line, conceding a couple of goals. But very, very impressive performance. So what I want to sort of pick my pick our way through here is just one question, really. How did Melbourne dismantle the Bulldogs? Because I guess everyone's been lauding the Bulldogs as having, you know, this deep midfield uh amazing you know skill and spread so how did melbourne dismantle them yeah yeah good question i think they came with a plan and they executed it perfectly and that plan involved sort of just making the ground small for the bulldogs really cutting off a lot of space cutting off their defensive exits like almost just barricading those defensive exits and forcing them to kick wide forcing them to kick into uh into make turnovers in in really dangerous areas of the ground uh, they really suffocated any sort of lanes for the bulldogs to move the ball and the, the corridor was completely shut out um they looked a bit confused and and faltered as a result of it the bulldogs we hadn't really seen the bulldogs fail in execution of their skill as much as we did on friday night uh, it, it almost sort of just started a snowball effect like we had really suffocated them and they kind of panicked a bit and and their execution suffered as a, a result but um just start to finish the forward pressure was always there guys like charlie spargo neil bullen was back to his uh, really his pressure best i guess you could call it 
Cosy was better than he was last week. Um, Trent Rivers has been very impressive, but I think this was his best game for the club, and I'm pretty sure he got the Rising Star nomination. Um, yeah, it was just a really good four-quarter performance. Very few um, moments where you could say that they took the foot off the gas. And I'd hate to say it, but the 28-point margin might have flattered the Bulldogs a little bit. Just a little bit, like... Just a tiny bit. I Not think, much, but a little bit. I think Melbourne's done this in a few of their games. Like, once once it's over, they start to let up the pressure a little bit, which is fine. Like, the other team can't win, so that's fine, really. And, you know, the other team will get a couple of goals back. And it, it happened against Richmond. So I think it's one reason why Melbourne actually hasn't had that many big wins because yeah. they've kind of just coasted to the line in these games where they have had it won by three-quarter time, which... I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because the game style they're playing, especially when they're playing against another top eight team, is taxing. There is it's a very taxing game style, and they can yeah. do it four quarters if they need to. But like, if you don't need to do that last quarter at that same level, you drop down. Everything yeah. becomes easier for the opposition. Melbourne's less likely to score, but it really doesn't actually matter. And it, it's kind of almost just management. It's it's, it's conserving energy in that for. You know the next week and that, but um, also I think because of the back line that we have, we can sort of afford to do that. I think that we do sort of take it the pressure, we'll just take the foot off a little bit, and it's just kind of like oh, you know, you want to you want to bob it into your fifty, go for it. You know, we we back our guys to just you know kill the contest and kill yep. the siren yep. goes. Yeah, absolutely. So I think yeah, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of that. What you were going through there, Johnny, about how the how Melbourne were able to spend all the dogs. And I guess it was all built on the team defence, but they had an even greater emphasis on guarding the corridor. So you actually could hear them on the coverage because there was no one there. Yeah, it was there fantastic, was, actually. The Melbourne guys just kept going, uh, corridor, corridor. So like the they showed it on some of the footy shows as well. They were always taking corridor side in terms of guarding the space, so forcing Bulldogs wide. But, yeah, a couple of the specifics as well. Harms to Liber was a great matchup. I think Harms is probably at his best when he's given an assignment. He was able to collect a fair bit of the ball himself, kick a goal, just cut down Liber's output by about half, which has been really important for them, getting it out to some of their speedy midfielders. So that was a really good thing for Melbourne. Um, Not allowing clean use out of the stoppage, just high pressure, as you are saying, not only in the forward line, around the ball, and when Melbourne got the clearances, their looks out of clearances were out of clearance were actually really clean in this game. So yes. I think they actually got quite a few goals from clearance, which is kind of a little unusual for Melbourne. They don't usually get that many goals from clearance. And no, uh, no. also really good efficiency going inside fifty, spotting up plenty of kicks, which has kind of been a hallmark of the last few weeks for Melbourne. But uh, I think they were scoring from roughly fifty percent of their entries with pretty good accuracy as well. And uh, last one I had here was, yeah, just absolutely hit them with everything they had in that first and third quarter. So Bulldogs did pretty well to steady in the second quarter. Uh, They got the last two goals to bring it back to 19-point lead from memory. So, yeah, I guess it was still up for grabs in that third quarter. And Melbourne did a really good job just to hold them the first part of that quarter and then uh, kicked a few goals in the second half of the quarter as well, and I think it got it out to about that six-goal lead and was pretty close to being over at that point. 
It was similar to the West Coast Essendon game towards the end of the second quarter when they sort of reeled back two goals and got it back within striking distance. I was a little bit concerned. I thought, oh, we probably should be a little bit further ahead. But, um, you know, they've given themselves a, a sniff. But, um, yeah, we just we just responded. I think I'm pretty sure with both those, the third and the fourth quarter, I don't think a goal was scored for the first five minutes. And that was definitely a result of Melbourne just keeping the pressure on and locking it in. And I know you want to see a goal sometimes. You want to split the game open with a goal. But I actually quite liked that. I liked how we were able to not... We were able to sort of squeeze the life out of the game, not let them score. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure we broke through with that first goal of the third quarter. And you might have even yeah. just mentioned yeah. who kicked it. But yes. Um, yeah. I thought that kind of stuff is a real psychological blow to the opposition. And yeah. You don't have to be smashing teams every week if you if you're really playing a sort of a good, you know, methodical style like that. I guess one thing, one other thing, this game underlines to me, and it's proven itself over and over again in, in world sport, is a good de- a good defense will in general beat a good offense. So that's why in you know the AFL they always say you know to win a premiership you need a good defense because if you're not sort of top four in defense, then, you know, you're not really going to get too far in the final. So it is really important to be able to uh, have a good defense. And I think even more the way footy's being played now with all the structure, it is so hard to get through and kick a score on Melbourne when they have, uh, you know, the concentration dialed in like they did in this game. They're yep. so good at guarding the dangerous space, uh, both in the corridor and the 50. So, yeah, great. And they zone off very quickly as well. Like, it was super quickly. Yeah, Lever had a, another great game. Uh, it was fantastic, yeah. And uh, last thing before we end the pod, I just wanted to mention, for probably the first time since the 1980s, Melbourne are actually premiership favourites. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know for a fact that they were premiership favourites in the 1980s, but I'm guessing they were seeing as they made the grand final. Uh, in 88 from memory, but uh, they might not have even been premiership favourites that year either. Otherwise, you probably would have to go back to the 60s. So <laughs> it's we'll been a while. pretend that they were. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, with that comes its own expectation. I think a lot more people are believing in Melbourne now that they've won this game and, you know, no guarantees in football, but I think it is important when your team is going this well, you've got to have some belief in them. So, Yeah, yeah, you do. And you've got to be excited. And you can't be sort of staying level-headed the whole time. You've got to enjoy football, even if it is just a week-by-week thing. Yeah. We, we all know yeah. that, you know, the only thing that really counts is what happens in the last sort of month to month or two, really, in the season. But, you know, you've got to put yourself in the best position and, you know, finishing top two at least, you know, get the home final and perform well in the final. So yeah. we'll see how we go, eh? But uh, and just um, back on the sort of the defence type thing, it's very true. I think the defence is what gets you there throughout the year, no, throughout, yeah, throughout the year, week by week. And, um, yeah, we sort of can't go anywhere without it. I mean, and you mentioned the other sports. It's very true. I mean, there's sort of a saying in soccer that um, – uh, strikers win individual games, but defense wins wins premiership. Yeah, wins the title. Yeah, championships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, 
just wanted to mention one thing before we end the pod for this week. We're actually going to start a weekend episode. It's going to be a little bit shorter, probably around 15 or 20 minutes. And it's going to be called It's Actually Footy Time. Because it's the weekend, it's actually footy time, yeah? (laughs) So we'll have a couple of uh, tips for you guys. We don't condone betting, but (laughs) there'll be uh, my lock of the week, which is what I'm choosing as the most bankable game. And Johnny will have uh, Raf's Ruffy. So he's going to try and pick out uh, Ruffy to, you know, get the chocolates. So yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to track those over the week. And we'll also be moving true or false into that uh, episode as well. So we'll have the normal release on Tuesday and we'll have the sort of Saturday release as well as we've been having in recent weeks. So just wanted to make sure you guys are all over that and it'll be popping up on your feeds. So thanks again for the chat, Johnny, and uh, always yeah. good to chat after a Melbourne win, and there's been plenty it of those certainly is. so far this season. <laughs> it and is. thanks to you guys as well for listening. Uh, if you do have any friends or family who you think might enjoy the podcast, please do mention it to them. Other than that, enjoy the football, even if it's just on TV at the moment. Bye for now. <laughs>